South Florida. The Brian Mudd Show starts right now. Now, now. News Radio 610 WIOD. We were not sure, you know, whether the court would even actually hear our case. Uh, of course, we were thrilled when they did accept it. But to get this far, you know, it's quite an honor, mm-hmm. you know, for just an average guy. In the first hour of the show, we've had the breaking news about the two final Supreme Court decisions of this current term with Justice Breyer in less than an hour now, who will be retired from the United States Supreme Court and soon to be Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson taking his place. It was four years ago that we had a decision that had a huge impact pertaining to employment. And this one regarding the ability to be forced into a labor union. And that was the crux of the clip that you heard there at the open. And joining us to talk about this, Max Nelson, the Director of Labor Policy at Freedom Foundation. Max, appreciate the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. So four years later, um, the implications of that Supreme Court decision, how have you seen it play out? Well, the the 2018 U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Janus versus AFSCME, that's American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, uh, was, was a major win for the First Amendment, was a major win for public employees around the country, millions of them who are represented by labor unions and who previously were, were forced as a condition of employment to pay union dues or fees. Uh, or face termination. And, you know, we've, at the Freedom Foundation, we've advocated for a long time, many years, uh, that those state laws requiring that dues payment to a private organization as a condition of keeping your job, that that, that just w- was a violation of free speech. I mean, you're compelling people to subsidize private, po- highly political entities uh, with their money. Uh, and the court agreed. Uh, the court found that uh, the First Amendment uh, is violated when public employers, government entities, uh, and unions withhold dues uh, from an employee's paycheck without their express authorization, knowing and voluntary authorization. Uh, and that opened the door to, uh, again, millions of public employees and dozens of states around the country who had previously not had those options. And so they now have a choice. Uh, and in the years since, we've seen hundreds of thousands uh, of public employees around the country decide that union membership is not in their best interest uh, and that the, the union does not uh, represent their values or their their beliefs uh, and have chosen to resign their membership and, and put that money to, to better use. It's had uh, significant repercussions. It will continue to have significant repercussions. Uh, but, of course, it's faced a lot of fierce pushback from labor unions and their allies and state governments as well. Yeah, no doubt, Max. And uh, that was, I think, a, a great summation. One of the conversations I've advanced and still have with you know some degree of regularity is with regard to teachers' unions. We will consistently have the concerns about what's happening in the classroom come up. And as many have become more aware of what's happening at the school board level, what's potentially happening within classrooms, I think a lot of people had kind of overlooked the role that teachers' unions from on high had played. And I think a lot of this is now being understood, that, hey, you know, a, um, a Randy Weingarten at the American Federation of Teachers might, for example, be driving the policy that's being carried out in the Broward 
or Miami-Dade School District. Uh, because ultimately, among other things, every single teachers union in the state of Florida, their parent is the American Federation of Teachers. So Randy has influence over every single one of those individuals. So to that end, Max, one of the issues I've had, because I've called out teachers who might be well-intentioned, but are still paying those those union dues that are contributing to the bigger problem here within education, I've challenged them to give it up. And what I get back from them routinely is they feel intimidation, they feel pressure, they don't feel like they can do it. What's your message? Well, and that's really the the role that the Freedom Foundation is is playing right now. And and most of the work that we engage in is is directed toward helping public employees, including teachers, understand their rights under the Janus decision, give them the information that they need to make an informed choice, and let them know how their union is spending their dues money, uh, and then coming alongside them to give them legal assistance if necessary or moral support uh, or, or even just practical information to try and navigate the process of canceling those dues deductions from their wages. But But you're quite right. I mean, many employees feel intimidated. Uh, unions, of course, vary in their in their behavior and their level of aggression, but but quite a few uh, have adopted very heavy-handed tactics uh, and intentionally made it difficult and scary uh, for people who are considering exercising their rights in this way. Uh, teachers, in particular, you know, tend to uh, spend a lot of time with each other. Uh, I think, or maybe a little bit more cautious about rocking the boat uh, generally. But uh, even even among teachers, I think word is getting out. People are realizing just how extreme these national teachers unions like the American Federation of Teachers or the National Education Association really are. And honestly, how much of the dues that they pay go towards things that are completely unrelated to their workplace representation. You know, AFT and NEA are both national entities with offices in Washington, D.C. They all have their state-level affiliates, Florida Education Association, for instance. Uh, and then the local union and the individual school district level, that's what most people see, uh, and that's right. what does, that's the level where most of the work happens. But so much of the dues get forwarded up the food chain to these state and national affiliates, and, and that's where the hyper-political uh, work gets done. So... As people realize that, I think they become increasingly interested in, in finding alternatives. No, it's a great point. I mean, for example, you take the United Teachers of Dade. You you have a piece that's the the point of the spear right there. But then you know they get they're taking a piece and a piece to the FEA, then a piece to the American Federations of Teachers, and so you have all of that that's at work. And then ultimately, the political agenda that is carried out with a lot of of that money. Ultimately, how much of that dynamic in particular have have you come across to where you know the the real overarching issue being many communities you've had democrats that have used this as a way to keep the the wheel spinning you've had the unions that donate their dues to democrats democrats that get elected that continue to give the unions what they want and and on it goes how hard is it getting in the middle of that wheel to to exact meaningful change? It's very challenging. And, and as you described it, it is a vicious cycle. Uh, and it's, it's one that's unique to government unions. You know, I think people tend to assume that unions are all basically the same. But there's a, a huge differences between unions in the private sector 
and unions in government. One of those key differences is what you just mentioned, and it's essentially the, the ability of government unions to elect their own employers, elect the people that are going to be sitting down at the bargaining table with them. Unions know they have the power to do that. They brag about having the power to do that, uh, and that is part of the reason they emphasize political activity so heavily. Uh, so, you know, unions tend to, again, generally in government, tend to have robust political operations, tend to devote a ton of time and energy uh, to those endeavors. It's not widely known, but uh, oftentimes union dues themselves are being used to make direct political contributions to state and local candidates. And if a union is able to control a majority of the school board or the city council or the county commission or the state legislature, then the union is able to go in and make demands uh, to the people that it has put in office. Uh, and that raises really serious questions about how well the public interest is being represented in those negotiations. But well, this is when you perfect. play out that. Yeah, Max, I mean, that's where I wanted to go with you. Uh, and, and I think you, you've said it very well. And, and ultimately where this, this conversation, this debate goes next, I don't necessarily have an issue with the way that all public sector unions go about their business. That said, I have always had a concern about what you are speaking to, which is ultimately public sector unions allow the employees, the unions themselves, to collectively bargain against the citizens they're supposed to be serving the interest of. Uh, so should there even be an allowance for a public sector union? Well, that's an interesting question, and, and people come down uh, all over the spectrum on it. I, I you know, we don't have uh, the Freedom Foundation a perfect view of what the world in collective bargaining should look like, but at, at minimum, I think there are ways to make the process more transparent to make sure that the public has oversight into the collective bargaining process. That this isn't something that's playing out behind closed doors. Uh, I think it, under no circumstances should taxpayer resources or facilities be uh, available to unions. Uh, for political fundraising or, or membership drives. You know, at the end of the day, unions are, are fine. Uh, they should exist, though, on the same playing field that any other uh, membership organization plays on. Uh, if people voluntarily want to join and pay dues to an organization, that's their First Amendment freedom of association. And if that organization wants to uh, advocate for the interests of its members, that's fine. But there should be no coercion. There should be no... Uh, you know, components of state law that uh, that give these privileges and, again, taxpayer-funded resources to unions to, to use for these things. Uh, and I think that's really where the concern is for us, is that contract negotiations and collective bargaining laws in many states have allowed unions to create a power base that's disproportionate, and it's not based on, uh, on the voluntary levels of support that the union would be able to uh, generate on its own. It's, it's fundamentally, it's based on coercive measures, and that's what we're really focused in fighting. Max Nelson, Director of Labor Policy at the Freedom Foundation. Appreciate it, Max. My pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. And Natalie, the trending story up next here on the Brian Mudd Show. He's Radio 610 WIOD. We get to